to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm thrilled to be able to welcome Pastor John Garland to Good God today as we begin conversations in a series about faith and immigration, uh, a hot topic in so many ways. But John, uh, before I introduce you, to, let me just say thank you for your time and for uh, your work and for joining us here on Good God. Well, it's my honor. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to it's great to see you, and it's wonderful always to talk with you. Thank you. Well, John is the pastor uh, of the San Antonio Mennonite Church. He is also the chaplain of uh, the Interfaith Welcome Coalition in San Antonio. Uh, he has been a pastor there for. Uh, what, almost uh, five years now, maybe? Something like that? Yeah, you know, sometimes it feels like 20, and other times it feels like two months. Yeah, Right. I think we, you know, before we get into the conversation about immigration, I think it would be interesting to people just to hear some of your background and how in the world all of these experiences of your life have uh, come together in a way that makes it seemed like it was foreordained that you be in San Antonio in this church doing this work. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> we should start with the fact that uh, you are the son of uh, both uh, Baptist ministers and social workers, and you are the same. Uh, your dad, a biblical scholar uh, and a university and seminary administrator, uh, David Garland, and your mom, uh, your late mom, Diana Garland, who is really legend in uh, our kind of Baptist circles, uh, was the head of the uh, Garland School of Social Work at Baylor before her untimely and painful death a few years ago. Uh, but uh, you are uh, both of those things, uh, a minister and a social worker. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but yet you, you speak Spanish, you taught middle school science on the border, and my goodness, now you're doing spiritual and pastoral work with people who have experienced extraordinary trauma in their lives uh, and uh, doing so in a place where uh, hospitality to strangers is at the heart of your work. I, I don't know how anyone could have gone into a laboratory and prepared life experiences better to do what they're doing than what you've been, uh, uh, been through. That's a that's a, a such a loving uh, loving way to put it, and you know when you're sort of in the mix, you don't necessarily take time to go back and count all the baskets um, and recognize we're constantly participating in, in miracles. Um, but I, I I am it's sort of ridiculous my childhood rebellion to turn to my parents these uh, amazing Baptist leaders um, to turn to my parents and say I'm not a Baptist anymore I'm an Anabaptist. <laughs> but, I, uh, I, I lived with Anabaptists. I lived with um, Mennonites who'd come back from um, agricultural uh, development work in, in West Africa. I was on a farm outside of Waco while studying at Baylor. Um, and, and then when I moved down to the border, there's a little Hispanic uh, Mennonite church um, uh, there. And I participated there. I was later called to be the pastor uh, bivocationally. And it was just so lovely and so much fun um, right. uh, to, to worship in, you know, with, with uh, these Mennonites in Spanish um, and is a, a lovely, a lovely experience. Um, yeah. And then moving to San Antonio and, and recognizing uh, uh, that our church is right in the middle 
of these uh, pathways of, of immigration and, and um, coming across so many desperate families um, mm-hmm. on their um, immigration journeys and also their faith journeys um, here right. in, in the middle of downtown. Well, you mentioned being an Anabaptist, and I think for people who are listening or watching uh, this podcast, uh, that might not be a terminology that is readily available to them. Uh, They know Baptists, but uh, in in effect, uh, Anabaptists are, are, the rebellion is to sort of go back to our roots uh, as Baptists, because Anabaptists were the precursors to Baptists. In, uh, in Europe, uh, they were part of what was known as the Radical Reformation, right? So uh, really committed to uh, the separation of church and state and to peacemaking, uh, to not using the sword of the state as uh, an, an implement of uh, rectitude. And so uh, in, in a, the word Anna means again. So for those who are wondering, it means to be baptized again and and, and that meant infant baptism was not accepted. It's an intentional community. And I love the threefoldness of your identity as, as a church. Can you tell us what those three things are? Yeah, we generally, we generally talk about uh, Jesus being the, the center of our faith and community being the center of our lives. And then the, generally we talk about reconciliation as the center of our work. Um, and this is, you know, uh, this is a recent uh, definition of the, of the Anabaptist walk here in America. But if you ask Anabaptists, they'll always be like, oh, yeah, Baptists came from us. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we just we're just not nearly as popular as as the as the Baptist Church in America. But but the roots are the same. And this idea of of being radical and going into those roots is really going into um, a, a sense of balance on the journey. Uh, so we're we're always balancing uh, action with prayer. And this is one thing we always say in our church: like we will do, we need to do nothing and no action without prayer. Um, but then we need to have no prayer without action. Uh, there needs to be this 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 walking balance um, uh, centered in our experience of Christ through Scripture um, and and Christ through prayer. The difference between Baptists and Anabaptists in the United States is is largely, in my take, uh, that Baptists took more of an individualist approach to faith. I think. And Anabaptists maintained a sense of the community being uh, first, the priority. Uh, and, and so I, I do think that actually, you know, the renewal of the Baptist church in America is to reclaim some of that uh, community, that sense of the primacy of the community. And uh, thank you for bearing witness to that, to those of us uh, who still remain in the Baptist tradition in America. Yeah. And, and I will also say there's a wide swath of uh, there's a huge spectrum of Anabaptists here in, 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 in America. We are in the middle of downtown San Antonio and we are about as urban uh, church as you can get. Um, and we are we are in the mix, as, as it were. But just uh, last week, I was visited by uh, Anabaptists who live on a commune in West Texas and they s- still speak uh, low German. Right. Um, and they are very much separated. They felt rather uncomfortable coming into the city and spending all this time. But they were helping us build tiny houses uh, for um, for recent immigrants uh, who don't have a safe place to live. And it's neat to see that spectrum, even though we have very different styles of life, that spectrum come together in this work for reconciliation, this work for right. hospitality and, and, and healing and blessing. 
All right, so that moves us to the question of immigration. And uh, this is not just an abstract question for you. This is at the very heart of your congregation's life and your own ministry, uh, because um, since you've been there, you've uh, you've had no respite uh, from the flood of immigrants that have been placed at your doorstep as uh, ICE buses have dropped off um, asylum-seeking migrants uh, at your doorstep. And how did all of that come to pass initially? San Antonio is not on the border. So uh, even though it's, it's, it's in South Texas. So tell us more about how all of that started and how this thrust you into a, a, a new sense of mission and purpose for your church. Yeah. Um, so San Antonio um, is, is right on the crossroads of all of these migrant routes. Um, so we are on I-35 and we're on I-37, which connects us to the border, and then I-10. Um, mm-hmm. So all these, these, um, these routes that people are taking um, as they enter into the country via Texas. But we're also um, surrounded by immigration prisons. Um, so there's a, all these privately run prisons that are contracted with uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Uh, to hold families and hold individuals who are in, uh, you know, immigration proceedings. And then we're also surrounded by some of the major border crossings. So people are crossing in Brownsville and McAllen and Laredo. And then also a lot of people started crossing in Del Rio and Eagle Pass. And those all sort of, uh, you know, create sort of a semicircle around San Antonio, Um, as well as the, the, the sub, the sub center, the ICE office is in, is located in San Antonio. So folks, the asylum seekers have to report to San Antonio if they're in this area. So that all sort of led to us being sort of on the on the crossroads of this, um, what could be called uh, an an immigration disaster, a humanitarian disaster that's uh, been um, been going on for the last seven, eight uh, years um, at, at, at high, sort of the high tide of this disaster. But we first came across it actually um, as a church. Seven years ago, there's a woman who was going, it was, she was catching a bus in the Greyhound uh, station, which is about a mile from our church. And she saw um, a, a, a young woman sitting on the floor with her baby. And the young woman uh, w- looked like she was Central American. The woman went over to offer help. And the, uh, she's like, is there, is there anything I can do to help you? You look like you need some. And the woman cowered and, you know, turned away and said, you know, I'm, I, I don't need any help. This, I think their language skills were not that great at that. And, and the, it was really haunting the woman. She was waiting for her bus. Um, and before she got on, she, she went over again. She tried again. She sat down on the floor next to this young mother. And she said in her best Spanish, I'm from a church. Is there anything I can do to help you? And the woman breaks into tears and says, I have no idea where I am and I have nothing. Um, and I've been begging God to send somebody. Um, and the woman then doesn't know what to do. She calls her pastor, um, uh, 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 a friend of ours. And, and uh, the, the pastor then calls the city and calls these other people because they realize it's not just this woman. It is uh, it is dozens of of mothers like this every day who are they, all of a sudden being found in the downtown bus station, and no one could help. Uh, it, this was not a city problem. It was not a law enforcement problem. It was not a county problem. These are not citizens, um, and and we we realized as a church uh, and a, a group of churches that this was our. We needed to respond. 
And uh, very quickly, um, a group of four or five churches with a whole bunch of volunteers kind of gathered together and created this coalition that we call it the Interfaith Welcome Coalition. It was tiny at the beginning. Um, and now it's we're really something else. <laughs> our, our, our church was sort of in the ground floor of that. We got one of those early calls to get together. And and we had just been um, given in, in many ways, miraculously given this house. Uh, mm-hmm. right around the corner from our church, eight bedrooms, two kitchens, um, and, and four. Wow. Yeah. La, La Casa y, uh, La Casa uh, y Maria Marta. Maria right? Marta. Yeah. Right. The Mary and Martha house, because they, they gave hospitality to Jesus and his, his, uh, his, his friends. Uh, so the Mary and Martha house, since that, since that, uh, that week, um, I don't think there's been a there's been a day that's gone by that no someone has not been staying in the Mary and Martha house, and it was wow. it was originally a um, uh, you know hospitality house for people traveling through San Antonio. Now it's just been full of asylum seekers uh, for these last seven years. That has dramatically shaped our church. Um, other churches in San Antonio have focused on advocacy work. They focused on making backpacks for folks. They focused on hanging out in the airport and the bus station as migrants come through. They focused on, um, you know, border work, um, working in the camps on the, the Mexican side. And our church has really, um, we've really focused on hospitality here in San Antonio, um, okay. giving a place to stay, using our own homes and our own guest, uh, guest rooms, um, and then our hospitality house. And then a lot of folks have stayed in San Antonio. They didn't have a safe place to go. Um, so they've settled in San Antonio long-term. Now leaders in our church. Um, uh, there's one woman with her children from the Congo who's running a, a coffee shop in our church parking lot, a little food truck coffee shop. And she's employing um, a number of other asylum-seeking uh, mothers from, from Honduras uh, selling coffee to the to the neighborhood um, and creating gathering space for you us. know in many ways when you when you tell the story of that young mother who was approached by a church member uh, this sounds almost like it's right out of the pages of the New Testament doesn't it I mean seriously it's like this divide appointment and this uh, remarkable moment with uh, there's a connection made and where a stranger is brought in and where there's a sense of God's presence uh, and guidance in life. Uh, it, it, it must feel like you're living the biblical story today, which is actually exactly what in our Baptist and Anabaptist traditions we say is the nature of the church, that, that this is that and that is now, and this is an immediate sense of continuity that we have with the, the narrative of Jesus. Huh? It was a very thin moment. That was a thin moment. It's really easy to see the presence of God, the movement of the spirit in moments like that. The church is, you know, if, if, you, read, if you read Matthew literally, the church was established at the gates of hell. Um, <laughs> it's, it, and the, the gates of hell are not going to prevail, but you find the church, uh, you know, big C church at the, at the gates of hell. So uh, spending time at the margins uh, with people who are suffering you have moments like this all the time. It's really sort of overwhelming uh, to to um, to recognize the church being church, and yeah. oftentimes it's the more established churches. You know, like I am a I am a pastor uh, with a church, and we have a we have a steeple on our church. It's oftentimes we find ourselves sort of um, at a distance yes. from what the pilgrim church is experiencing uh, there at the margins with the you know, on the floor of a, of a bus station, um, in the, in the arms of a, 
of a desperate mother. The other day, this reminds me, the other day, there's a man from, he was Haitian, and he was recounting his story um, that evening at the hospitality house after prayer. Um, and he was, he was talking about uh, crossing the Darien Gap. This is one of the most dangerous places in the world, the jungle between Panama and uh, Colombia. But before they got to the Darien Gap, they took a boat um, from, from Colombia across the bay uh, toward the Panamanian uh, border. And the boat, it's like a long canoe with an out, outboard motor. And the, the, the motor broke down. And he and his family and a number of other families were adrift. And they were adrift in the ocean for two days and they thought they were going to die. And he was talking about the prayer uh, on the boat and the weeping and the prayer and the singing and the weeping and the prayer. And they, they, they drifted ashore into the jungle and they struck out and trying to survive in the jungle and they were attacked by bandits. Uh, and then they came across uh, officials and the officials treated them badly. They lost absolutely everything and they're trying to make it on the way. And I, I sat down with them after us and I got a, a, a Creole translation of second Corinthians 11. And we read Paul describing being adrift for two days. Yes. And how he was not safe from, from the bandits. He was not safe from the officials. He was not safe from his own brothers, et cetera. And the man's like, this is my story. This right. is He's telling my story here. And, yes. and he said, this is what he said. Uh, I, this is why I bring this up. He said, he said, I, I participated in miracle mm. and I want to keep participating in miracle. Oh my goodness. I want to, I want to be a leader in a church that is always participating in miracles. Um, and, and that is, that is a, a lovely testimony. Um, and it's a, a lovely charge, I think, to the American church. Um, mm -hmm. That here are brothers and sisters who are crying out in pain and crying out in prayer. They're, they're crying out in faith. And then they're also with their hearts saying, I want to per continue participating in miracle. Um, okay, so I think this is a really important point that we should drive home. And that is what uh, you made the distinction between the more established church, and you represent that in a sense because of your tall steeple and the footprint that you have in a location and a ministry that is ongoing there. And this represents most of our congregations in the United States, right? And the Pilgrim Church. Now, you, you just trans, transform the language of migrant and immigrant and all of that into a more spiritual sense of pilgrimage. And, 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 and actually, I think in doing so, you change the way we look at the people who are crossing the border and see them as people of faith who are actually living the biblical story and who are, who are challenging us about our settledness to begin to think about our own faith as more of a pilgrimage. Now, who would expect that we're supposed to uh, be uh, transformed and changed as the established church by those who are coming to us instead of trying to settle them and get and get them to be more like us. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, moment in God's work in the world, isn't it? Uh, the way this works. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's actually always been like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's the, it's the, it's the spirit moving at the margins of, of empire 
and um, it is where the, the kingdom is is most revealed and most most seen. And I think you know the American church is is seeing that now. And just I mean, just factually, the vast majority of immigrants coming into the United States are evangelical Christians. Phenomenal. Um, I think yeah. I think maybe twenty years ago is mainly Catholics coming from Central America and, and Mexico. But right now, I'm we I'm counting eighty five uh, percent of the people that wow. we're hosting are, are evangelical. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they, you know, they want, they want to, first thing they want to do is they want to pray and they want to, <laughs> they want to come into the church and they want to sing. Um, and they want to, they want to, uh, read scripture together and they're, they're memorizing scripture. They're quoting scripture. And if you want to just kind of do like a basic definition of what is a Christian quoting Jesus, I think you'd come somewhere close to definition of you sacrifice everything in love mm. and you love God. And, and this is precisely what we're witnessing. These are folks who have given up their communities, their jobs, their businesses, their homes, mm-hmm. because they love their children um, and because they uh, are, in, are investing deeply in their future. Um, and they're, they're risking everything. They're giving up everything, uh, sacrificing everything in that love. And there's something really, really compelling um, about that faith. Uh-huh. Um, and also encouraging, I think, to the church. One thing we talk about in our church is, um, especially you know, around the Advent season, uh, because uh, we're, we're telling these stories. We often say uh, we we scour Matthew um, uh, chapter two to get some sort of inkling of who hosted Joseph and Mary and the infant Jesus in Egypt. Right. Like, because you, you know somebody had to take care of them yeah. when they when they fled in the night and they gave up everything. When Joseph gave up his job, gave up his business, gave up his community, his family connections. When he gave up language connections, when he gave up wow. everything to cross wow. the desert and go to Egypt, you know somebody took care of them. Someone took them in, and we are that. <laughs> we're that's who we're acting as right. as a church, and it's always humorous to be like. And they did not even make it into the record. Like Matthew does not mention the family or the church or whoever it was, a synagogue maybe that took in Joseph and Mary and the, and the Messiah. Right. Right. Um, And that's fine um, because, you know, blessings on those folks, um, you know, that their hearts burned within them uh, as they gave hospitality uh, to the Holy family. Um, and they're not, you know, they're not going to get any recognition because that's not the story. The story is uh, the presence of the Messiah. And they got to bear witness to that. And I, we often, you know, we remember that, especially around the Advent season. We remember that that's what we're doing as a church here in San Antonio. It's what we're doing as an American church as well um, mm-hmm. in, in, in so many ways when, when we are um, at our humblest and best. Well, when we are at our humblest. But the irony you just stated is that at 80, 85 percent of uh, of those who are coming to us being evangelical Christians, it's about 80-85% of American evangelical Christians whose position about uh, those who are coming is that we should prevent them from doing so, build a wall, and, uh, and, and they are operating more from a Christian nationalist point of view than they are from a Christian hospitality point of view, right? Uh, it's yeah, it's an astonishing thing. 
Uh, yeah, but I would just say that's not Christianity. Christian nationalism is just idolatry. So it's not real evangelical Christianity. It's it's right. just it's just idolatry. And and mm -hmm. and so we can't we can't chalk that up as Christianity. And they don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. That's the that's the thing with idolatry is it's all based on lies and whatnot. But when they hear the stories, uh, when when they see truth and grace, when they wow. when they hear true stories and and you get it, you know, um um, uh, some modeling of, of good behavior, um, mm -hmm. all that falls away pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I've, I've had that experience many, many times of folks, you know, saying, you know, pastor, what are you doing helping these people who are breaking the law, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's only because they don't understand uh, exactly what's going on. They don't understand that these are their brothers and sisters. And when they can hear those stories and see um, see those connections. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a church in Houston, real big church, like real, real big. And, and they, um, very, very conservative. There was a guy there who, uh, was introduced himself as a major donor, uh, to the Trump administration, the, the election campaign. And they had asked me to come to debate to debate um, the immigration issues. And they gave it a title. I'm not even, you know, uh, repeat the title because I was so offended by it. But uh, they they wanted to debate how Christians should, re re I'll say the word, uh, should respond to illegals. Right, right. Um, and I I knew precise. I mean, I've, I've had these conversations so many times before. I knew every single question they would ask. I was like, yeah, let's let's have this quote unquote debate. All I did was tell stories of real yeah. people, true uh -huh. stories of real people and their, their stories of faith. And and then uh, we talked about our own experiences and quoted Bible stories and and by biblical characters and whatnot. And there wasn't much of a debate. It was really fun. And at the end of that evening, that fellow lovely man, <laughs> he bought me plane tickets and two weeks worth of time in on the border of Honduras and Guatemala to continue making connections uh, to um, to uh, churches in in um, in wow. that area, the you know uh, connected to families that we've hosted um, uh, here in in San Antonio. But it was lovely, and he you know continues to stay in touch and is funding a documentary. Wow! About okay. the faith journeys of our migrant brothers and sisters. And if someone is watching this podcast and would like to do the same, let's uh, let's just say that we can help facilitate that kind of engagement if your heart is widened or uh, softened by this kind of a conversation. Yeah, another another story like that. There's a church in rural, rural Illinois. I mean, I think they, they were like, we're the reddest county in, in whatever, whatever, but whatever that means. But they they were compelled by this, these stories of faith and, and, and loving sacrifice. And they told me, they told me, you know what, pastor, we want to host a family. And I says, do you really? And, really? Like, and, and so I, so I asked him, I was, I was like, you need to do this, 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 and this, you need to prepare this because there's so many families that need sponsoring. They need a, a safe place to go, a safe place to land. I was like, if you can come up with this list of things, uh, uh -huh. give me a call. And they, they call me back in a month and they're like, We've got the apartment. We've got the medical care. We've got the the set up with a lawyer. We've got set up with da 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 da, da and and we're ready. I was like, all, all right. And the next day, uh, this family agrees to go. A mother and a and a child agrees to go to this church, and um, it utterly transformed this church. 
That's um, fantastic. The, the, you know, folks who a month earlier were just talking about building a wall mm-hmm. are now, you know, you know, being called grandpa and grandma by a little girl who fled um, El Salvador. Um, and and this this young, you know, little girl becoming a young woman flourishing wow. um, in this in this community and, and, and the mother as well. So the church okay, is going to be the church when the spirit's moving. Right. But that that actually leads me to this way in which you have framed uh, the three questions most people ask that are based more in legal and economic and nationalist terms uh, and reframe them spiritually. And I Mm -hmm. think this is something that that church in, in Illinois did and that you we're able to accomplish in this Houston conversation. And, and as we shift the conversation, the way we, we do that, it's, I think this is a really important move you've made. So let's begin with the legal question, then the fear question, and then the scarcity question, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? They're all fear-based questions. Okay. Um, and when we're talking, I mean, th- that, that, that's the root of all of them. They just kind of take different forms. And right. these are the same questions we deal with when we're struggling with racism. And, you know, quite frankly, when we're talking about immigration, we really are talking about racism. Um, America, but, it's but, always about race. Yeah. yeah, well, this this specifically definitely is. But when you're talking about immigration, the first thing, and this is the barriers that prevent people from responding. It's the, right. it's the barriers that keep the church from, you know, being the church. And it, they'll come up in any congregation. They'll come mm-hmm. up in, in the most well-meaning folks. Uh, mm-hmm. We just have to be aware of them as leaders in the church. Um, uh, we need to be aware of the first. And that first question is a legal question. It's like people are asking, is this legal? And mm-hmm. why don't they just follow the law? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, is aren't we a country of laws or shouldn't people respect the border? And, uh, you know, all these sorts of questions. Um, and, and those are, those are good questions when we need to let people ask those questions. There are some interesting answers, uh, to all those questions, um, about, you know, what is legal and, and like, as is there actually a legal process? And, you know, quite frankly, it is legal to ask for asylum. And that's why we have this uh, whole process. Um, and, and I will always respond to that question. It's a good question. It's a good American question. Um, it is not a Christian question. Because we're not asking about the order of God. We're not asking about the law of God. Um, and when we ask those questions, uh, all of a sudden there's, there is a, a major shift. And then, the, the, then if you can get past the legal question, there will always be the, um, more of the financial scarcity uh, question. And that's a, why should we take care of them? Shouldn't they take care of their own uh, problems? Or sometimes people will cloak it in why don't we just help them help themselves uh, in their own country before they come? Or um, it will be a question of like, we don't have the resources to save the whole world. Right, um, right. It's, it's always, and there's a calculation, just like the disciples made a calculation and told Jesus that they would have to work for an entire year to pay for this hungry crowd of 5,000. Uh, people will, will do that, that calculation. And that's fair. I mean, we, you know, people need to be able to ask economic questions. And we talk about, um, you know, how you tend to your resources and steward what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but asking the question, how are we going to take care of them? That's not a Christian question. Um, and, and we need to ask better Christian questions. We need to ask, like, what are the resources that we have and how are we bringing them back? to Jesus mm-hmm. to see them multiplied. 
And, right. and then how are we participating in the service of what has been multiplied? And then how are we cleaning up? How are we counting the baskets and recognizing we're participating in the miracle? Right. Uh, and then that last question, if you can get past legal questions and um, scarcity, you know, financial questions, you're going to get hit by the, the fear of change. And someone else I've heard it phrase um, just the other day. He's like, you know what? I think what, it's more like a fear of not being in control. Um, but it comes across as like, how are these people going to change our economy? How are they going to change our healthcare system? How are they going to change our culture and our food and our language and da 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 da? All these fear of change questions. And I mean, that's fair. If you want to be nationalistic, you need to be able to. You need to ask you know nationalistic questions um, and cultural questions and all those. But those are those are definitely not Christian questions. Jesus is always asking us, how are we being changed? Um, by, by the, by the Holy spirit and by our brothers and sisters. Um, and if we're not being changed, uh, then we're not walking in the way, um, we are, we are, you know, building buildings full of stones that are going to topple, um, you know, not one, not one of those stones of fear is going to be on top of, on top of the other in the kingdom. Um, and so I, I think it's really important for leaders to recognize those three questions. I'm afraid that laws are being broken. I'm afraid we don't have enough resource. I'm afraid that we're going to change. Recognize those questions and do not shame them. Just recognize them. Be like, oh, it's a fair question. Let's, like Jesus modeled, let's respond to good questions with better questions and mm -hmm. faith-centered questions. Uh, let, let's, let's ask um, how we are participating in the kingdom of God instead of the empire of fear, as it, as it were. Well, there, there couldn't be a better way to wrap up this conversation than the way you just did. John, thank you so much for giving us insight into the lives of the people who are crossing the border, coming to be among us, uh, those pilgrim Christians uh, who are changing us for the better. And thank you for modeling for us what uh, church really should be. Well, thanks so much. It's really, it's really a privilege. Um, and if you don't mind, my daughter made uh, with me a little informational video for churches yes. and it's based on a dog that um, it's a stunning story of a dog that okay. uh, crossed 10 countries uh, with a family um, and I'll, I'll send you the link to that so people can watch it's just you know 10 minutes of terrific we'll, we'll link it to uh, to this podcast and let people uh, connect to that as well you bet it'll get it gets some get some images uh captured in cell phones of of our migrant brothers and sisters that's on their great journey. So. well thank you so much john for being with us and we look forward to continuing the relationship you bet blessings okay